Good day, wherever you are. My name is Edmund Senanulochu, and this is Public International Law on Lodio. Now, the previous podcast on PIL discussed the history and sources of public international law. Now, we said, according to Article 38.1, one of the the sources of public international law is is create is, is is conventions or international conventions or treaties and we said that treaties were regulated by the vienna convention on the law of treaties now we started going through the regulations of the vienna convention and we will continue in this podcast now article 2 of the convention says and a treaty is an international agreement concluded between states and it's in a written form and governed by international law now article 6 also says that states every state possesses the capacity to conclude treaties there classic stages in creating a multilateral treaty one accrediting persons to conduct negotiation negotiations on behalf of each state two negotiate negotiating the text of the treaty three adopting the text of a treaty four authenticating the text and signature five ratification if it's necessary is whether you're a monist or dualist state six any accessions seven entry into force eight registration and publication okay so treaties formation are subject to modification this the classical mode or stages in creating a stages in a, a treaty can be modified to suit the parties involved now article 7 describes who can express a the intent to be bound on behalf of a state and represent the state for the purpose of b authenticating and c adopting the text article 7 that is what it describes the person who can express the intention to be bound on behalf of a state and to represent the state for b the purposes of authenticating and c adopting the text now this takes us to the concept of full powers full powers okay now article 2 C says that full powers means a document emanating from the competent authority of a state designating a person or persons to represent the state for negotiating, adopting, or authenticating the text of a treaty for expressing the consent of the state to be bound by a treaty or for accomplishing any other act with respect to a treaty. So this is the definition for full powers now article 7 on full power says that a person is considered as representing a state for the purpose of adopting or authenticating the text of a treaty or for the purpose of expressing the consent of the state to be bound by a treaty if 
a he produces appropriate full powers or b it appears from the practice of the state's concerned or from other circumstances that their intention was to consider that person as representing the state for such purposes and to dispense with full powers so full powers means that you've been given the authority to represent the state to adopt to authenticate the text of the treaty that's full powers now article 72 says in virtue of their functions and without having to produce full powers the following are considered as representing their state so this is presumptive full powers you don't have to pre- pre- present any document to prove that you have full powers a heads of states heads of government and ministers for foreign affairs for the purposes of performing all acts relating to the conclusion of a treaty b heads of diplomatic missions for the for the purposes of adopting the text of a treaty between the accrediting state and the state to which they are accredited c representatives accredited by states to an international conference or to an international organization or one of its organs for the purpose of adopting the text of a treaty in that conference organization or organ so these are people who have presumptive full powers now complicated multilateral treaties are usually negotiated ultimately in large diplomatic conferences example the statute of rome establishing the international criminal court and this was in a large diplomatic conference from 1944 1994 to 1998. now article 14 concerns the consent to be bound by a treaty expressed by ratification acceptance or approval article 41 says the consent of a state to be bound by a treaty is expressed by ratification when a the treaty provides for such consent to be expressed by means of ratification b it is otherwise established that the negotiating states were agreed that ratification should be required c the representative of the state has signed the treaty subject to ratification or d the intention of the state to sign the treaty subject to ratification appears from the full powers of its representative or was expressed during the negotiation two 14 2 the consent of a state to be bound by a treaty is expressed by acceptance or approval under conditions similar to those which apply to ratification now article 15 also alludes that consent can be bound by consent to be bound by a treaty can be expressed by accession okay now the consent of a state to be bound by a treaty is expressed by accession when a the treaty provides that such consent may be expressed by that state by means of accession b it is otherwise established that the negotiating states were agreed that such consent may be expressed by that state by means of accession or c all the parties have subsequently agreed that such consent may be expressed by that state by means of accession now accession meaning that coming into possession of a right or office increase or augmentation addition so 
In the context of a treaty, accession may be gained in either of two ways. The new member nation may be formally accepted by all the nations already parties to the treaty. Or two, the new nation may simply bind itself to the obligations already existing in the treaty. Frequently, a treaty will expressly provide that certain nations or categories of nations may accede. In some cases, the parties to a treaty will invite one or other nations to accede to the treaty. Now, let's move to Article 24, which talks about entry into force. Now, Article 24.1 says, A treaty enters into force in such manner and upon such date as it may provide or as the negotiating, negotiating states may agree. 2. Failing any such provision or agreement, a treaty enters into force as soon as consent to be bound by the treaty has been established for all the negotiating states. 3. When the consent of a state to be bound by a treaty is established on a date after the treaty has come into force, the treaty enters into force for that state on that date unless the treaty otherwise provides. 4. The provisions of a treaty regulating the authentication of its text, the establishment of the consent of states to be bound by the treaty, the manner or date of its entry into force, reservations, the functions of the depository and other matters arising necessarily before the entry into force of the treaty apply from the time of the adoption of the text. Good. Now, Article 18 talks about obligation not to defeat the object and purpose of a treaty prior to its entry into force. Article 18 says that a state is obliged to refrain from acts which could defeat the object and purpose of a treaty when a. It has signed the treaty or has exchanged instruments constituting the treaty subject to ratification, acceptance or approval until it shall have it shall have made its intention clear not to become a party to the treaty or b. It has expressed its consent to be bound by the treaty pending the entry into force of the treaty and provided that such entry into force is not unduly delayed. So, Article 18b reads ostensibly as a state is obliged to refrain from acts which would defeat the object and purpose of a treaty when b it has expressed its consent to be bound by the treaty pending the entry into force of the treaty and provided that such entry into force is not unduly delayed now article 80 says that treaties shall after their entry into force be transmitted to the secretariat of the united nations for registration or filing and recorded as the case may be and for publication article 103 then says that every treaty and international agreement entered into by any member of the united nations shall as soon as possible be registered within the secretariat and published by it now, Article 19 on reservation says that a state, when signing, ratifying, accepting, approving, or acceding to a treaty, f- may formulate a reservation unless a. the reservation is pro- prohibited by the treaty, b. the treaty provides that only specified reservations which do not include a reservation in question may be made, or c. in cases not failing under subparagraphs a and b, the reservation is incompatible with the object and purpose of the treaty. Now, reservation means that you are derogating from a, prov- a provision or provisions of the treaty. So on, on reservations, we have a case called uh, the convention, the reservations to the convention on genocide case. 
okay you can read that to find out now article 19 talks about formulation of reservations which we have we have read and it means that when the reservation is incompatible with the objective and purpose of the treaty and when there can be no single answer and the treaty may also specify that there can be no reservations and it you can also also formulate reservations on the principle of juice cogents which is the principles from which there can be no derogation okay now let's go to article 26 which deals with pacta sunt servanda now every treaty in force is binding upon the parties to it and must be performed by them in good faith pacta sunt servanda means that you must perform your obligations to the contract okay so that's article 26 and so every state is bound by what they have signed to and regarding this an application it can there can be application to third parties a party may not may not uh, invoke the provisions of its international law as justification for its failure to perform a treaty okay so whether or not your municipal law or private international law does not affirm certain provisions in the treaty you have no excuse back to be obliged by the provisions to that treaty so you cannot use your your laws the laws in your country as justification to perf- to fail to perform the duty under the treaty so by the doctrine of privity of contract um only parties that have signed on to treaties are bound by the obligations of that treaty and it does not create obligations for a third state and this is explained by the latin maxim pacta tetis nec nocent nec prosant okay so a treaty binds the parties and only the parties it does not create obligations for a third state the only exceptions are that a third party state can have rights incident to that treaty okay now in article 36 it says that 36 one says a right arises for a third state from a provision of a treaty if the parties to the treaty intend the provision to accord that right either to the third state or to a group of states to which it belongs or to all states and the third state assents thereto its assent shall be presumed so long as the contrary is not indicated unless the treaty otherwise provides now 36.2 says that a state exercising a right in accordance with paragraph 1 shall comply with the conditions for its exercise provided for in the treaty or established in conformity with the treaty okay so if um uk bef- or let's say germany as part of the eu signs a treaty with denmark and says that all member states of the eu shall benefit from such a treaty then and then all these member states are sent to it then that third party which is all other member states apart from germany and denmark shall have uh, rights to uh, 
the obligations under the treaty okay so then this will give accession to the concept of ega omnis which is an obligation towards all okay now let's go to article 31 of the vienna convention on the law of treaties the general rule of interpretation it says one a treaty shall be interpreted in good faith in accordance with the ordinary meaning to be given to the terms of the treaty in their context and in the light of its object and purpose two the context for the purpose of the interpretation of a treaty shall shall compromise in addition to the text including its preamble and annexes a any agreement relating to the treaty which was made between all the parties in connection with the conclusion of the treaty b any instrument which was made by one or more parties in connection with the conclusion of the treaty and accepted by the other parties as an instrument related to the treaty sorry i I meant the context of for the purpose of the of the interpretation of a treaty shall comprise not shall compromise so it says that the context for the purpose of the interpretation of a treaty shall comprise in addition to the text including its preamble and annexes that means that there's an implied there's an implication there's some implied right or obligation that a any agreement relating to the treaty which was made between all the parties in connection with the, the conclusion of the treaty b any instrument which was made by one or more parties in connection with the conclusion of the treaty and accepted by the other parties as an instrument relating to to the treaty now article 31 3 says that there shall be taken into account to together with the context a any subsequent agreement between the parties regarding the interpretation of the treaty or application of its provisions then b any subsequent practice in the application of the treaty which establishes the agreement of the parties regarding its interpretation now article 32 says um talks about supplementary means of interpretation it says that recourse may be had to supplementary means of interpretation including the preparatory work of the treaty and the circumstances of its conclusion in order to confirm the meaning resulting from the application of article 31 or to determine the meaning when the interpretation according to article 31a leaves the meaning ambiguous or obscure or b leads to a result which is manifestly absurd or unreasonable this means that if the conclusion is ambiguous or is absurd and unreasonable to interpret it we could use the preparatory work that was done the circumstances leading to its conclusion to confirm the meaning of the the article the particular uh, provision in that meaning in that treaty now the vienna convention on the law of treaties article 32 allows that travel preparatoire in short tp can be a supplementary means of interpretation in certain circumstances travel preparatoire is shorthand for the documents used during the negotiation and drafting of a treaty so when you have documents used during these initial stages they can be used to interpret the the provisions of the treaty now let's go on to invalidity and termination of treaties article 48 error of fact now article 48 one says that a state may invoke an error 
in a treaty as invalidating its consent to be bound by the treaty if the error relates to a fact or situation which was assumed by that state to exist at the time when the treaty was concluded and formed an essential basis of its consent to be bound by the treaty now 48.2 says that paragraph 1 shall not apply if the state in question contributed by its own conduct to the error or if the circumstances were such as to put that state on notice of a possible error. 48.3 says an error relating only to the wording of the text or a treaty does not affect its validity. Now, Article 52 also talks about another way by which a treaty could be terminated or invalidated. 52 talks about coercion of a state by the threat or use of force. A treaty is void if its conclusion has been procured by the threat or use of force in violation of the principles of international law embodied in the Charter of the United Nations. Another provision, Article 53, says a treaty is void if, at the time of its conclusion, it's conf it conflicts with a peremptory, peremptory norm of a general international law. For the purposes of the present convention, a peremptory norm of a general international law is a norm accepted and recognized by the international community of states as a whole as a norm form from which no derogation is permitted and which can be modified only by a subsequent norm of general international law having the same character that is jews cogens jews cogens general international law a norm of general international law which has been accepted now article 60 talks about termination or suspension of the operation of a treaty as a consequence of its breach. Now, 61 says, a material breach of a bilateral treaty by one of the parties entitles the other to invoke the breach as a ground for terminating the treaty or suspending its operation in whole or in part. Two, a material breach of a multilateral treaty by one of, of the parties entitles a the other parties by unanimous agreement to suspend the operation of a treaty in whole or in part or to terminate it either i in the relations between themselves and the defaulting state or ii as between all the parties now another way by which we can terminate uh, a treaty is supervening impossibility of performance 61 article 61 supervening impossibility of performance article 61 says one a party may invoke the impossibility of performing a treaty as a ground for terminating or withdrawing from it if the impossibility results from the permanent disappearance or destruction of an object indispensable for the execution of the treaty if the possibility is temporary it may be invoked only as a ground for suspending the operation of the treaty. Now, 61.2 says, impossibility of performance may not be invoked by a party as a ground for terminating, withdrawing from or suspending the operation of a treaty if the impossibility is the result of a breach by the, that party, either of an obligation under the treaty or of 
any other international obligation owed to any other party to the treaty. Now, now one of the other, uh, the, the foremost um, ways by which you can uh, terminate, suspend, or withdraw from a treaty is Article 62, fundamental change of circumstances. Rebus sic stantibus. 62.1. A fundamental change of circumstances which has occurred with regard to those existing at the time of the conclusion of a treaty and which was not foreseen by the parties may not be invoked as a ground for terminating or withdrawing from the treaty unless a. The existence of those circumstances constituted an essential basis of the consent of the parties to be bound by the treaty and b the effect of the change is radically to transform the extent of obligations still to be performed under the treaty now 62.2 says a fundamental change of circumstances may not be invoked as a ground for terminating or withdrawing from a treaty a if the treaty establishes a boundary or b if the fundamental change is the result of a breach by the party invoking it either of an obligation under the treaty or of any other international obligation owed to any other party to the treaty and three if under the foregoing paragraphs a party may invoke a fundamental change of circumstances as a ground for terminating or withdrawing from a treaty it may also invoke the change as a ground for change for suspending the operation of the treaty now, these are a few provisions under the Vienna Convention on the, on the Law of the Treaties, of Treaties, which we, we, we have elucidated. And I encourage you to look into that document to get more provisions. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great day.